We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Nick Whalen, back from New York City. Uh, you were listening to the pod last week. I was. How, how's everything going? How was the trip? It was great. It was great. I got a I got a text from a buddy who listens to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, and uh, he said, "Love the shout out on the pod this week." And this was what Thursday. Thursday. So, yeah, Thursday's. Yeah, episode. I was sitting at my friend's house in New York, and. Uh, I thought, oh, I'll have to check this out. I wonder what they said about me. And I was glad that you guys decided to do a five-minute intro, basically, you and DJ, last Thursday, um, just making fun of my fashion choices, uh, my food choices, my travel choices. Um, the travel choice is a good one, but the food choice while traveling, that's where I think you, uh, you, you set us off. I didn't eat at McDonald's once in New York. That's awesome. I thought about it. I almost did. I was actually Applause in a McDonald's button. and then turned around and, and went out. So I ate <laughs> at McDonald's. Yeah, I ate at McDonald's in Chicago on the way and, and on the way back, but uh, not in, not once in New York. Didn't do any fast food. O'Hare, Midway? Uh, Oasis. 
Oh, oh, the over, yeah, the, the overpass. Yeah, can't pass those up. Yeah, that's like Starbucks for dinner or McDonald's right. or Subway. It's it's a bad, it's a bad place to mm. be. All right, well, glad glad you had a good trip. Glad you made it yeah. back in in one piece, and hopefully you can try to dip carbs into carbs again now that you're back uh, on your home turf because that's that's kind of your signature. Uh, let's move on to some news items from the weekend. Ryan Matthews. Returning to work with the first team offense on Sunday, he was back at practice Friday. To me, I, I like him as one of the better discounted running backs right now because you know the risks. He's been dinged up throughout his career, but the yards per carry number for his career is like four and a half. Eagles offense is structured in a way where I think he can not only get you 200 plus carries, but I think he can get you 40 catches with relative ease. What are the other concerns with Ryan Matthews, if any, besides the health? I think that's the big one. Uh, I think last year the concerns obviously were the workload split with DeMarco Murray and just kind of the Eagles' obligation, I guess, that they had, you know, bringing in DeMarco Murray, uh, paying him what they were paying him, and, you know, the, the stature that he carried after that 2014 season in Dallas. I think, you know, it, it's kind of hard to account for that. Um, you know, obviously he wasn't very effective for 80% of the season, but they kind of they kind of had to keep pounding him and, you know, kind of try to get him going. Obviously with him out of the picture – Ryan Matthews steps in as that undisputed number one guy. You still have Darren Sproles, you know, who always seems to be productive in, in whatever his role is, uh, but he's getting up there in age. And beyond him, you know, Kenyon Barner, great college back, hasn't really ever done much uh, in the NFL. And, you know, a guy who, who came in last year as a, a former Chip Kelly um, player at Oregon, I think that was kind of the connection you thought maybe that would you know, rejuvenate him or give him what he needed, I guess, to you know, that familiarity. Uh, but with, with, with Chip Kelly out of the picture, I don't really see Kenyon Barner uh, doing a ton for this team. So, I mean, going back to your original question, I, I guess for Ryan Matthews, if you're staying away from him, it's because you're concerned about injuries because this is one of those teams that really might not be all that good, but somebody's going to have to run the ball from him or for them. And I mean, this is a season where we could see him maybe return up into, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred, approaching a thousand yards if, if he's able to stay healthy. Yeah. I think if you give him 15 games, even to knock off one for some ailment that befalls him at some point during the year, I, I think a thousand yards is a very reasonable expectation. The front runner for me, as far as absurd article of the year, NFL division, might be this gem from NJ.com, a New York Star ledger or one of the affiliated a papers. Conglomerate of several yeah, papers. Yeah, yeah. It's like the M Live thing in Michigan, right? right? It's right. a statewide or regional network of papers all under one uh, nice URL umbrella, if you will. The, the hip one, the headline reads Can Darren Sproles be the Eagles featured back? This is written on August 3rd. Hmm. I mean, he's 33, five foot six. Has he really ever been anyone's featured back? No, because he's a role player. He's a good role player. He's finally, like he's finally ready to take on that featured back role. It, it would be even more surprising than what Justin Forsett has done in Baltimore if somehow Darren Sproles gets more than 200 carries. It's an absurd thought. I, I just can't. He's never even carried the ball 100 times. Yeah, like it's, it's not. He's only gotten over, over 90 once, and that was seven years ago. If Ryan Matthews suffers a season-ending injury between now and like week two, maybe then. But I would assume it'd be Wendell Smallwood, Kenyon Barner. It's mentioned not just going to be Darren Sproles, you know. No, like, even, even if he were the featured back, he he doesn't have the the physicality to be a true true feature back in the sense that we usually talk about it. No, I mean they would they would probably call more screens and dump the ball off a lot. Screen raid could be like an eighty catch guy again, right? Maybe, but I, I don't really see 
any reason to believe he's going to get you 150 carries even. I think 100 would be a career high, as you said. That that would be a surprise. 150 would be a crazy anomaly career high at age 33. That doesn't happen. I mean, if he's averaging five yards a carry and he gets that, then they'll keep feeding him the ball. But there's a limit as to how much they want to run him, even at age 33. So take take that article with all the salt you can possibly find and be sure to hydrate because that's going to be going to be ugly when that all comes together but that's the clubhouse leader for ridiculous football it's article still early. of the year it's still plenty early things are going to get heated up don't uh, worry. Un- undoubtedly uh, sammy watkins has passed his physical he's back from the pup list back on the practice field now that he's cleared are you more willing to target him early because he is a player i was just talking to uh, the bills play-by-play guy during a radio hit in buffalo sammy watkins is a player who has really an almost an unlimited ceiling at wide receiver i mean he could be a first round fantasy pick a year from now and it wouldn't be that surprising but we just don't know health wise how that foot holds up over the course of the season i'm more comfortable with him now than i was even a week ago because he's going to get about a month's worth of practice in barring a setback that being said i don't think i'm going to have sammy watkins on every one of my teams this year because there is still a fair amount of risk right there is i i, I don't really look at this latest news or this clearance as you know, something that's necessarily going to sway my opinion. I think this was kind of expected, right? The the bigger story would have been if he wasn't cleared. Uh, So I I think it doesn't necessarily affect where, where he's drafting. To me, the risk is still there. You know, this is a guy that's already had multiple issues, lower body injuries for, for receivers who depend on, on speed and physicality like he does uh, is always dangerous. I mean, to me, if we're talking, you know, tiers of receivers, is he firmly in that that third tier? You know, if Brown and Jones and maybe Beckham are in are in tier one, uh, does Watkins fall into two or three? And is he up there with AJ Green, Allen Robinson, uh, guys like that for you, or, or are you kind of scared off a little bit by not only this injury, but you know what could be a pretty shaky Buffalo offense? I think the the offense being not necessarily elite, putting it very not nicely. necessarily. Not necessarily elite, be. being like kind of more like an average sort of offense. Yeah, everything's yeah. running well. That doesn't necessarily hurt Watkins, if only because they don't have a lot of weapons. It's it's McCoy, it's Watkins, maybe some Charles Clay in the uh, red Jared zone. Boykin is on this roster. Excuse you. He's on the roster while there are ninety players on it. <laughs> I don't know if he'll be there when there are fifty three. I look at Watkins as a player that belongs probably in the bottom part of tier two among receivers. It's a big tier because, yeah, as you it mentioned, is. it really it, is. It goes. After the big three, it goes from Hopkins all the way down to you know probably Mike Evans, Elshon Jeffrey. And I look at Watkins versus Jarvis Landry, Amari Cooper, Brandon Marshall. I think Watkins is a better player than all those guys. Like I, I'd rather have Watkins. If I, if I know I'm getting 16 games out of Marshall, Cooper, Landry, Demarius Thomas, T.Y. Hilton, and Watkins, I think Watkins is the guy I'd rather yeah. have from that entire bunch. So on talent a wide receiver two or a tier two wide receiver uh, based on where he's being drafted right now he's being taken more like the third tier guy which is where the the appeal comes in so does does Watkins being a home run guy um you know he's 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 only six one he's a big body at six one and he's physical and athletic but he's not you know he's not quite Julio Jones he's not going to be Mike Evans or Allen Robinson guys who are going to go up and and get 50 50 balls does him being a guy who relied at least last season so much on these big big plays does that, in your opinion, kind of help his stock or hurt his stock? 
I think it's okay. I mean, I, I don't think it necessarily works against him because if you look back at DeAndre Hopkins, year two of DeAndre Hopkins, 9.5 yards per target, something Watkins did uh, even even better last year. It was like 10.9. Yeah, a little over 10. Ridiculous number. Uh, and 20 of DeAndre Hopkins' catches in 2014, uh, he only had 76 catches that year. 20 went for 20 or more yards. He had mm-hmm. fewer 20-yard catches last year with 111 receptions than he did in 2014. I mean, I, I think Watkins has similar speed, actually probably more speed than Hopkins, similar size, similar similar uh, situation in terms of just like the quarterback play maybe not being great, but it's good enough to get him the ball often. And much like Houston a year ago, the Bills just don't have those secondary weapons yet. Even Houston now with Will Fuller, Jalen Strong, Braxton Miller, it, there's there are more threats to that workload for Hopkins, whereas we could see that jump for Watkins. We could see 160, 170 targets perhaps over a full season. I mean, t- 10 targets a game for Samuel Watkins seems like a must in that game plan. Even if Tyrod Taylor is going to throw 25 passes at the low end some weeks, you'd want 10 of those targets going in the direction of Samuel Watkins. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I don't know where else you're going to really distribute those targets if you want to be a productive offense. I mean, he's going 18th among receivers in terms of NFFC ADP. And that seems low to me, but then you look at the names above him on this list and it's it's tough to definitively say, you know, Sammy Watkins should be ahead of, you know, player X. And I think it just speaks to the depth of the receiver position. Yeah, it does. And and again, it comes back to the injury risk. It's still there with Watkins, but I feel a lot better about it mm-hmm. given that he's on the field now and we're not having to wait until the, the later part of this month to see him out there practicing uh, with his teammates. Uh, some other news items from the weekend. Eric Ebron initially was feared to have suffered a serious injury. They thought maybe an Achilles problem. Now a source uh, within the team saying that it's a pretty decent ankle sprain. Pretty so decent. pretty decent. So I don't know if that's like a IR designated to return sort of thing or yeah, that's kind of a, like, an odd term to use when describing an ankle sprain. Like, does this mean like it's decent for Ebron and that it's not that bad, or does it mean a significant ankle sprain? I think it means the latter. Yeah, like a high ankle sprain yeah. maybe, which is like a four to six week injury depending right. I on. Mean, this could be maybe he misses week one, week two, something like that, and that's probably close to the worst case, assuming that there's no actual structural damage. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and here, here's what this does. I mean, it opens up more targets for Anquan Bolden, probably in the red zone. I don't know if volume-wise, if it changes anything for Golden Tate. I think he's going to get his looks regardless, and maybe it gets a few more targets into the hands of Marvin Jones, too. So you could have a few weeks where all three of the Lions receivers, maybe, are useful if you're in a 14-team league we're getting a full point per catch, like something like that. But, I mean, Ebron probably falls out of the top 12 among tight ends as a result of this injury. Probably falls to the 15 to 20 range. Once we get more details, that'll obviously uh, give us some guidance as to just how far he should be dropped. Are you looking at this offense, though, as one that's going to just miss Kelvin Johnson in the worst possible way, despite the success they were having last season after Jim Bob Cooter took over as the offensive coordinator? I'm really glad we got our first JBC mention of the season uh honestly i kind of forgot that he existed but how it's hard to say well i well because you know it's just a name that i kind of once the nfl season ended i was like i'm kind of glad i'm not hearing this name anymore and you know it's just it's just an odd name to hear it's hard to say with calvin johnson because the production hasn't quite been there the last couple of years and the lions have maintained you know respectability i guess in the nfc north uh, even with Calvin Johnson not putting up the numbers people expected, but it it's hard to measure his impact just being on the field, you know, and and whether he's catching 15 touchdowns or putting up you know close to 2,000 yards, you know, just his presence, I guess, and what what that means for the rest of this receiving core and what it means for for what it opens up for Matt Stafford. 
I don't think we're really going to find out until week one. And even with Calvin Johnson, you know, had he not retired, I don't know that this would have been the most inspiring Detroit offense. Um, Golden Tate is a very, very good receiver. I don't know if he's quite an elite number one receiver in the NFL. I guess we'll find out. Uh, And beyond him, you're looking at Marvin Jones, you know, kind of a career number three guy, Anquan Bolden. At some point, you got to think he's going to run out of gas, although he hasn't really shown too many signs of that. Um, I think this this Ebron injury just kind of compounds that. And even if he doesn't miss too much time, you have to wonder at what point in the year is he finally going to actually get back to 100%. Maybe the Lions are a team that win like three games this year. I mean, they could just be awful. They really could. It's it's within the range of, of possibilities. Who and, wins more games? Or who are you more confident about winning more games? Uh, we'll say getting to six wins, Detroit or Chicago? Uh, it's going to be a bloodbath at the bottom of the division i guess the lions but i mean looking more closely at golden tate it's surprising to see the yards per target number drop to 6.4 last year he was at 9.2 each of the previous two seasons 10.3 yards per target in 2012 and that was with a similar number of looks as what he received in his first year in detroit i know part of the production in 2014 for tate uh, happened with kelvin johnson on the shelf with an injury so some out there look at Tate and say, well, what's he going to do when he's getting different types of targets? With Kelvin Johnson out there, you know, Tate's going to run different routes. So that could be a factor. But can you completely ignore uh, an efficiency drop that great? Because that's like what Michael Crabtree essentially did last year mm-hmm. in Oakland. I mean, I think Crabtree caught 85 balls, had nine TDs. But he was also in that six and a half yards per target range. The difference was Mike Crabtree had more catches of 20 or more yards than Golden mm-hmm. Tate. And by a lot, it was like 15 for Crabtree and Tate had seven. Yeah, I mean, I think certain times you can ignore uh, things like that based on situation. But nothing's really changed, uh, you know, for this Detroit offense positively, I guess. You know, yeah, I, don't, I don't see the loss of Calvin Johnson as reason to say, OK, well, now Golden Tate will become more efficient, you know, so. Um, I'm still high on, on Tate, you know, as the, probably the number one fantasy guy relatively easily, uh, in this Detroit offense, not high on Matthew Stafford, as we talked about, I think on this podcast last week, not necessarily high on Amir Abdullah. Um, so, I mean, going back to my original Lions Bears question, I, I, is there really a correct answer? I don't, I don't think there is. I guess I'd have to side with you and say Lions by maybe a half a win. It's because of JBC, which sounds like yeah. some kind of like broasted chicken, like Jamaican yeah. broasted chicken, right. or something yeah, amazing. Yeah, take the JBC to go type of thing. Yeah, yeah, because I've, I've had I've had Korean broasted chicken. They refer to that as KBC, and it's delicious. Oh. So I just assume J would be Jamaican, but maybe maybe I'm underestimating what the Lions' defense is compared to the Bears' defense. I think both teams have a few playmakers, but not so many that you look at them as shutdown units they're going to carry their team to uh, high levels of success but yeah golden tate i on the one hand i I like him as a high floor full point ppr guy but i don't want to have shares of golden tate up and down all of my rosters this year either Uh, some other quick news items robert griffin named the browns starting quarterback not really a surprise at all is it not really. No, this this seems like the classic, you know, make the guy earn it type of thing. Um, they 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 really made him work hard by right. naming him the starter on August eighth. Yeah, but you know, I mean, they could have. Everybody knew this all along. They could have said it, you know, pretty much the day they signed him. I, I for whatever reason, um, you know, teams seemed to shy away from doing that. But uh, I read that article this morning. You know, everybody had their little write up on RG three. And has he taken off the orange Browns bucket hat like since the day he signed? I cannot remember seeing him hmm. in anything other than a helmet, you know, in the, the B-roll practice footage that we see, uh, or that bucket hat. Well, 
I'm seeing some pictures of him wearing the, the Redskins bucket hat during his time in Washington. So. Big bucket hat guy. Yeah, it's a little unusual. There's got to be a story behind that, right? I don't know. Well, I don't really know a lot. I'm not a bucket hat owner. I've never never owned or I don't think in my entire life worn a bucket hat. But I believe it's kind of come back into the forefront of fashion in the last two or three years. The the rapper Schoolboy Q, I think, was a big part of that movement. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. <laughs> Schoolboy Q? By the way, you you shouted out Young Buck on the podcast. I do not like Young Buck. Did you mean no? to say Young Thug? I think you meant Young I, Buck. I probably mixed them up because to yeah. me, they're, they're just Young like, Buck is not really even an active rapper. He was that G-Unit guy. Really? You know, back in the mid-2000s, yeah, before my time. I'm Googling Schoolboy Q right now, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not impressed. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to... I've tried and failed to sell you on a lot of rappers over the years, so I'm not going to make my case uh, right now for him. But there's a story here in the news from RTT News. I don't know what that is. Uh, it says Kendrick Lamar and Schoolboy Q play ball with the L.A. Rams. What's up with that? Sure. Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. I, I don't, I'm not sure what that's about. But yeah, as you can see, he pretty much has a bucket hat on in most of his photos here. I assume you are going to Schoolboy Q's concert in Milwaukee in October? I wasn't aware that he was coming to Milwaukee, but maybe I will. Yeah, a lot, lot of hype, I'm, I'm sure, for, <laughs> for Schoolboy Q. I had a bucket hat a long time ago, but the main reason for it was uh, at tennis. Like I, Playing tennis, you're outside all day at a tournament. You actually want a hat that covers your ears so you don't like burn off your ears. So you wore it while playing? No, no. I would no wear it that like, would be a terrible look. No, I, I wouldn't wear it when I was playing. I'd just throw it on between matches because you get to a tournament at like 8 a.m. and you leave at 3 or 4. I mean, it's 8 hours in the mm. sun. You can put on sunscreen five times or you can put on a bucket hat a few times and not have your racket flat in your hand because you're covered in sunscreen. So I, I see where pick your poison. I see where Griffin's coming from. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you pick your poison. It's either sunscreen or a bucket hat. Uh, I, I would. I don't know if I like the Browns bucket hat per se. But I don't think he has a choice. I mean, you can't wear just wear like an off-brand hat? one. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't wear another team's one. Like, just a general bucket hat. Yeah, I'm not sure. Rolls in wearing the Jags bucket hat. Jeez, that would be something. That would actually this time of year that would be. A huge story that would be top left corner of espn for about three days that's where it would be that's the state of sports journalism right now there really is and we keep joking that you know eventually we're going to have storylines to talk about and and here we are our number one story under you know today's headlines well this is the, this is under the other stuff portion <laughs> of the outline to be technical true uh, but I like the Browns' offense quite a bit this year because you get Josh Gordon conditionally back from his suspension after four games. Gary Barnage, people aren't talking that much about him considering what he did a year ago. Corey Coleman is impressed, got a minor injury right now. But you factor in the, the weapons, Hugh Jackson being the head coach there, good offensive coach, has had some success uh, with even like Andy Dalton in Cincinnati of all players. I mean, Griffin to me has better tools than Andy Dalton. This could be a really interesting Cleveland offense. First time we've said that in a decade. First time ever for think, some I don't of us. think I've ever said that in my entire life. So, yeah, I mean, it's the first time for everything. Um, one of these times we'll have to go through and rank offenses. That, that can be a podcast um, because, we, you know, we keep talking about which ones we like and don't like. And I, would, I actually would like to line these up and, and compare Cleveland because when we say we like the Cleveland offense, that's a relative statement. You know, I mean, I, I think I like the Cleveland offense relative to where it looked like it was going to be a month ago. Right. Um, but I still, you know, from a fantasy perspective, Duke Johnson, um, you know, Josh Gordon, once he's back and, and Corey Coleman are really the only guys uh, that I'm going to be targeting this season. I'm expecting a little bit of a regression from Gary Barnage. I mean, do you, do you expect him to keep this up? 
close to it at least i mean the target volume may come down but it'll also see less attention so you think about the way this team's built maybe in the red zone in particular he'll continue to clean up they spend more time in the red zone he becomes a little more td dependent but i think cash in those opportunities because last year was the first time in gary barnes's career where he was actually a starting tight end he was buried behind greg olson for most of his career in carolina and there's just not much to go around behind Greg Olson. Olson doesn't really take days off, so it's easy to see how this guy was overlooked for for so long. He just never had a chance to get on the field. Uh, Tyler Boyd getting some reps in the slot with A.J. Green and Brandon LaFell on the outside in Cincinnati. I still think Boyd's more of a dynasty league guy than somebody you want to take in redraft leagues, even if you're getting a full-point PPR. Maybe if Brandon LaFell went down with an injury, that would be enough to where I think the, the volume week-to-week for Boyd would be useful. The other factor there is Tyler Eifert. As long as Tyler Eifert is healthy, he's going to get all the extra looks behind AJ Green. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I like Tyler Boyd, like you said, more of a long term guy. I mean, a, a couple months before the draft, he was, you know, in that same conversation with Treadwell and Coleman and Doxon as as maybe being one of the first two or three receivers off the board. He goes in the second round. Um, I think the Cincinnati offense is just good enough and deep enough that maybe he's he's kind of a, a twenty thirteen Devontae Adams uh or twenty fourteen, I guess Devontae. When was Devontae Adams a rookie? I think it was twenty fourteen. I think it was twenty fourteen, where you know, every night, you know, th- there's flashes, maybe he gets in the end zone three or four times, um, but not a major, major part of an offense that already has a big time weapon in AJ Green, another big time weapon uh in Tyler Eifert, but I do like him from a dynasty perspective. Yeah, Devontae Adams, second rounder in twenty fourteen. Twenty thirteen yeah. he was winning the Paul Warfield trophy, tearing it up at Fresno what State. Is the Paul Warfield trophy. Oh, the Paul Warfield trophy, if you must I'm know. I'm embarrassed that I don't know this. It's uh <laughs> it, it's from the Touchdown of Columbus. Is the that Touchdown Club. Yeah, Touchdown Club of Columbus. So is this like an, an alternative to the Blitnikoff? Yes, I, I think it is. I think it's, right. a, it's a lesser Bolitnikov would be the way to describe it. Uh, other players back from the pup list, we talked about Sammy Watkins earlier. Thomas Rawls passed his physical on Sunday. He's back. Julian Edelman also removed from the pup list. So good things for those two guys. They get about a month or so uh, to get right physically. Uh, Le'Veon Bell says he feels he has passed the injuries, the MCL and PCL injuries that ended his 2015 season. Just has to get past the commish next week when his suspension appeal is finally heard. Uh, I think I talked about this with Mario when we found out it was going to take a couple of weeks. But like, what was Roger Goodell doing in the meantime? I mean, the Hall of Fame game, maybe. I, okay, that, that's well, this really. past weekend. Yeah, that didn't happen. That didn't go down. What would make this a scenario that requires? Le'Veon Bell just wait two weeks. Is that just Goodell, just like a power move that he just makes players I really wait don't like know. this? I, I always like in situations like this, it's easy to criticize, and I'm sure there are reasons, but it doesn't seem like there would be any reasons. I, I mean, are, are we expecting Le'Veon Bell to have any sort of case here? I don't, but I don't see how he could. We could some random evidence that we don't have yeah. currently out there. Could I mean, we'll pop see. Up. We'll see. I mean, the expectation is still four games at this point, right? Yeah, I think you have to plan. You have to you have to err on that side. You know, if you're drafting in the next two weeks before this is all sorted out, I, th- I think you kind of have to expect that uh, from what we know. But there have been some, there have been more surprising rulings. I mean, Josh Gordon, uh, I didn't expect to come back this season with, with all that's gone on, and, and four games for him seems like a pretty light penalty. Now, for those who are new to this podcast, Nick, being a, a Jags fan, probably thought Josh Gordon was going to go the way of Justin Blackman. Well, let's not let's not even talk about that. Where is Justin Blackman? I have no idea. He, uh, 
I do know he has his, his latest DUI. Uh, I think he has a sentencing. I, I believe it's a sentencing uh, in a couple of weeks. And I think at that point we might finally get, I don't know if resolution is the right <laughs> word, but depending on what happens with that, you know, if he's, I really don't, I haven't really read up on it too much. You know, if he's able to avoid jail time and, you know, just, just be around football, you know, I think at that point that that's maybe the last chance he might have to resurrect his career. But, you know, the fact that the Jaguars haven't completely severed ties with him and he's sitting on their reserve suspended list as he has been for you know over a year now, you know, as a Jags fan, it gives you that little, you know, half percent glimmer of hope that someday he'll be back. But, you know, I think it's getting to the point where he hasn't really, you know, hasn't been in an NFL field in two years. And, and even if he were to ever work his way back, the chances that he's ever, you know, 2013 Justin Blackman seem extremely slim at this point yeah yeah physically just you can't not, expect I mean it's not it can't be an expectation by any means no physically not the same player right. he was at the time these suspensions he really was spotted began. playing uh beer league softball last summer I do right remember, I do remember reading that story I, and it was framed as uh an apparent attempt to get back in shape that's how you do it yep you beer, start, beer start league small, softball is the way small. to get back in shape yep. change your life and in one That's summer, where the elite athletes hang out, play beer league softball. Akib uh, Talib back at practice Monday for the first time since he was uh, shot during the off season, shot in the leg. Uh, so apparently he's ready to go and going to be fine for week one. Good sometimes news. you just get shot; it happens. Sometimes it just happens. Wasn't there a didn't story he shoot himself? But like, didn't want to admit it. It was a little bit fishy. Well, sometimes you got to shoot yourself too. So the story I'm seeing from the Denver Post. <laughs> Never heard of it. It, yeah some some well you're <laughs> some joking about that but blog? Yeah. they're they're like there are kids that are in like high school right now who probably will go to journalism school in a few years if it still exists and they won't know what the denver post is yeah they'll know what the nothing against the denver post, post is but uh akil talib was apparently too intoxicated to remember what happened in dallas shooting hmm. that's, that's not a good way to be <laughs> so basically he was like i was really drunk and i had a gun on me and i don't know what happened after that Yes. Basically, him suffering what's in the grand scheme of things, a very minor gunshot wound, is kind of the best case scenario for how that played out. Pretty much. I mean, he's not even going to miss any time. He shot himself, or someone shot him. Yeah. That was probably himself. Plaques. It was kind of like a like a minor Plaxico Burris situation. Right. By the way, we have a, a whole lot of Plaxico Burris uh, rookie cards up on the shelf oh, over yeah. there. I think those belong to, uh, to Mario Puig. I don't, I don't know what his plan is for those, if he's trying to give them away on future pods. Something but... like that is just going to keep going up in value year by year. Oh, yeah, for sure. So if you're interested in the Plax rookie cards, definitely let us know on Twitter. You can leave us a review, too, if you like this podcast. There's a lot of them. Mention the Plax rookie cards, and that would put you at the front of the line if uh, if Mario decides to part with his collection. We should start including those as bookmarks when we send out magazines. That would be kind of fun to throw random football cards into the mags yeah. as we ship them well, out. Well, see, they would just all be Plaxico Burris. But, all, yeah. all Burris? Well, do we, ha- we don't have any other ones right now, do we? We could get pretty much everything. I think between... A few of us on staff, there are just piles of football mm-hmm. and baseball cards in right. our closets that we could gladly yes. donate parents because closets. that too. Yeah. In, yes. In, yes. For the younger folks, mm-hmm. parents' closets. Uh, a couple other things to talk about, really just one big topic now. With so many teams going receiver, receiver, or uh, maybe going tight end, receiver, receiver, basically avoiding running back through their first three, even four picks, uh, it really leaves you in a position to be careful with what you do at rb2 or for your cheap rb1 and what i'm curious about is where you see 
significant value in that tier. We talked about Ryan Matthews uh, with his return to the first-team offense on Sunday. I've returned to practice again on Friday. He's going in the seventh round of drafts right now. I mean, he's going outside the top 65 or 70 overall picks. I mean, if you look at Arian Foster during the flex expert draft over the weekend, he went at pick 61, first pick of round six. DeMarco Murray went after that. I mean, even if you were burned by Murray last year, don't you look at Tennessee as a situation that's actually a lot better than the one he left last year in Philly? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think knowing what we know in hindsight, I guess, about that Philly situation, certainly uh, I'm just not that high in Arian Foster. Not, I'm not going to try to pump up DeBarco Murray too much, but I, I don't see, you know, we're talking about Ryan Matthews as a guy who can't stay healthy. I mean, Arian Foster is you know kind of the poster boy for that at this point, and you know, he enters a Miami offense that, you know, isn't exactly humming on all cylinders at all times. So uh, that seems a little high for, for Arian Foster to me. Um, I think I would I would put DeMarco Murray over him if it came down to those two. But um, you, you look at other guys in, in that same range, you know, Jeremy Langford, Frank Gore, Gio Bernard, uh, you know, even Thomas Rawls to me is kind of right up there with Arian Foster. Yeah, you're kind of split with Mario on Rawls. i look at Rawls where he's going I mean in this draft in this flex draft he went in the middle of round seven that's quite a bit later later than his ADP his ADP is a price I'm not willing to pay but if he's falling as far as he did in this weekend's draft then I'm interested I mean, so. what is the big concern with Rawls it's the injury right and he's seems like he's gonna be fine I don't, I don't really see why people are so down on him uh, he doesn't catch a lot of passes and he's never done it before yeah. this past season even his numbers in college weren't that good so I, I see that's where like some of the concern is but they don't have a lock to take over. Kristen Michael, even with the positive reports about what he's doing this time around, I don't know if you look at him as a real threat. It just comes down to health and the lack of pass catching. Mm -hmm. And the former and the latter are both concerns, but he did what he was doing last year without having the pass catching ability. He might be one of those guys that only catches 15 or 20 balls all season as a starter, but if he's getting five yards a carry or close to it, he's getting 250 carries. He's undervalued where he's going right now. I suppose, uh, are you also against Jeremy Langford? It seems like most of the industry is. I think so, yeah. I mean, he does get the benefit of you know, penciled in at number one running back status. You know, to, to some degree, no matter how poorly he plays or how poorly the, the Bears offensive line plays, you know, there's still going to be some value there just based on the volume. The question for me is just how long is that volume going to take until it kind of runs out and, and they may be going another direction. Yeah, that's that's a legitimate concern. Jordan Howard also looking pretty good so far in camp. Very physical back, could take a lot of the goal line carries right away, which would chip away at what Langford can give you on a week-to-week basis if that materializes as expected. Uh, Frank Gore, a player I would go nowhere near, is kind of in that group. And we're talking about running backs that might fall between like round six and round eight. Uh, so probably an RB2, maybe an RB1 if you're very aggressive. You go three receivers or four receivers with a tight end or a quarterback. I mean, you could do worse than Frank Gore, I guess, but it's not somebody I want as an RB1. No, but this this is where I am with Frank Gore. It's like if, if Jonathan Stewart is going 8-1 or wherever Jonathan Stewart goes, Frank Gore should go behind that because yes. they both have a lot of risk given age and, and injury concerns. And Stewart already has a foot injury. And I know while, while Cam Newton's going to take away some chances in close – Frank Gore is not necessarily going to get a lot of carries inside the 10 because kind of like the Packers, you you may have a team with the Colts that slings the ball in close. They're comfortable with luck throwing the ball inside the red zone. Or luck running the ball too. I mean, I don't think they... I don't think they want to necessarily utilize him as a as a bulldozing rushing weapon, you know, especially with the injuries last season. But 
even even if you're taking it delicate with Andrew Luck, he's still you know a much better option around the goal line than 27 other quarterbacks. Right. So with Gore, I mean, the efficiency really tanked last year, below four yards per carry for the first time in a season in his NFL career. I don't really see that coming back. The pass catching opportunities could fade as well. So he he's just going higher than he should, even though there is sort of a useful floor uh, in Frank Gore. Joe Bernard, Jeremy Hill, both pretty cheap. Round seven, round eight time. I mean, is it worth taking a chance know. on either of these guys? In a full-point PPR league, I think Gio Bernard's pretty stable. Mm-hmm. In a non-PPR league, I think it becomes a little more dicey because... It just seems like it kind of gone back and forth with these two the last couple of years. I don't know how you can really be confident in, in either of them. I mean, it's worked out well for Cincinnati as a team. I think you really like this tandem. From a fantasy perspective, it's, it's just really, really frustrating to try to choose between the two. Yeah, I I might have a share or two of Jeremy Hill because if you liked him last year at all as a second-round pick, which I did, you should still like him because so little has changed in Cincinnati with respect to what they have at the running back position. Everything you liked about him going to last year should theoretically right. still be there. What about the two rookies from a year ago, Amir Abdullah, Melvin Gordon, mid-eighth-round picks in the flex draft over the weekend. That was a full-point PPR league, too. So Abdullah, in that format, I think it's a slight bump. Yep. But in non-PPR leagues, I'm kind of worried about what the Lions might do with their other backs. They're going to throw it to Theo Riddick a decent amount, and we've said this before, but Stephen Ridley could just take on that Joik Bell role, which only takes away valuable carries and close from someone like mm-hmm. Amir Abdullah. Yeah, and the big thing with Gordon, too, is just, you know, we've, we've said it before, he it just can't be worse than it was last season and he's going to have another opportunity to you know basically you know see the same the similar type of workload in, in theory he's going to be healthier um after after the knee surgery this off season it's just hard to it's just hard to imagine it, it, it you know what happened last season or anything close to that really happening again and i think the bar with him is set so low that you know we're seeing him like you said go in the eighth round uh in a draft like this that you know even if he just puts together an average season or slightly below average season you're still going to get decent enough value from him uh as the number one running back even if he's your second running back i wanted to ask you about tampa bay uh oddly unique situation i guess last season where doug martin kind of bounces back out of nowhere he runs for 1400 yards um but at the same time charles sims also a productive option both those guys played 16 games sims uh the better receiver of the two still had over 500 yards on the ground although he didn't get into the end zone on the ground um how big of a gap is it uh between those two guys with martin obviously being the higher value i mean you look at where martin's going right now in drafts at the running back position it's it's pretty significant like if you're investing in doug martin it's going to cost you a top 35 top 40 overall pick so he's pretty firmly inside the top 12 or so at the running back position and rb1 a lower end rb1 if you're in a 12 team league i don't have a lot of concerns about sims taking away carries but i have i have concerns about sims just being the dominant pass catching back so if you take away some of those receptions from martin last year he had 33 catches knock him down to 20 that hurts him a little bit if the volume as far as the carries go falls from the high 280s to maybe 250 he has to maintain that high efficiency in order to be productive but i think he can do it like this is a good offense and i don't really see any reason to fade doug martin at his current Mm -hmm. price well i mean with doug martin he's four seasons in we saw the great rookie season that propelled him to the front of the rotowire was that 20 must have been the 2013 it's 2013 cover boy um you know so we have two seasons of him playing 16 games and and being really productive 1400 plus yards in both those seasons 
And then we also have two seasons uh, in which he played a combined 17 games. And, and even when healthy, you know, the, the per carry total was uh, almost or above uh, in each of these respective situations, a yard lower uh, than the, the two seasons that he's been healthy and been productive. So, you know, we're going into year five. I guess this is kind of the rubber match year for, for Doug Martin. I mean, is he going to have a third productive season or is he going to have a third season where it gives you almost nothing? Well, I think this offense with Mike Evans and Jameis Winston is so different than what the Bucks had in 2013 and 2014 when Doug Martin was a disappointment. I mean, in 2014, Josh McCowan and Mike Glennon handled the quarterback position. They didn't have that same sort of explosiveness mm-hmm. in the passing game that they do now with, with Jameis at the helm. So that that looks like a very dynamic offense now, and it wasn't just a couple of years ago. And I think with all that talent around him, that's what makes Doug Martin have a high floor. Maybe I'm missing something with him, but it just seems like he has everything you're looking for in a lead back right now. And you know, as Sims goes, it, it, do you like him? Are you taking him where he's going right now? Do you think he can carry the ball? more than 150 times this year no. if Martin's healthy? No, and that's the thing. You're kind of betting. I think if you're going to put any stock in Charles Sims, you're almost betting that Doug Martin's going to get hurt or, or going to regress it in some way. Um, yeah, I think the, the catch numbers for Sims are somewhat sustainable. You know, It's not like he had absolutely ridiculous numbers. I mean, the, as a guy who you know pr- plays primarily in, in passing situations, I think that's sustainable. But I don't know if you can really expect him to up the rushing total at all. If Doug Martin's healthy... They really have no reason to veer away from that. And there were three games out of 16 last year where Charles Sims carried the ball 10 or more times. I think we could see something similar to that as far as, you know, double-digit carry games. Yeah, so if you're in a full-point PPR league, maybe he's like a a poor man's Gio Bernard. Yeah. I mean, where are you at on Martin as far as touchdowns, too? Six touchdowns last season compared to 1,400 yards. You know, I I think you you look at Todd Gurley, 1,100 yards, 10 touchdowns. Adrian Peterson, 83 more yards than Doug Martin, got in the end zone five more times. Um, I think six, uh, if you're assuming that Doug Martin's not going to experience you know, a fairly drastic fall off, I think six touchdowns seems a little bit low for him. Yeah, I can see eight to ten being yeah. within range. I mean, Jameis Winston had six on the ground yeah. last year. Yeah, you, so. you do wonder about that, though, too. I mean, they, when they got into the red zone, and Jameis Winston was you know one of the better red zone backs in the league, if, if you, him and Cam Newton are really the only two quarterbacks that, that offer that. But the weird thing was, we didn't get the rushing yardage from Jameis otherwise. No. I mean, 213 yards, not bad, but just not what you'd expect for a guy that scored six times on the right. ground. I think that's where a couple of those Doug Martin TDs could come from. We could mm-hmm. see Jameis run even more uh, between the 20s this year. But I still think with Doug Martin, that six TDs, is the, that's as bad as it gets in a healthy season in mm-hmm. this offense, assuming nothing major happens to you know, Jameis or Mike Evans. Right, and Doug Martin led the league in 20-plus yard rushes last season, 14 of those. Um, I mean, at some point, you just kind of have to, you know, we're, we're all these 20-plus yard rushes just kind of coming on the other side of the field. I mean, some of it is just kind of, we talk about the same thing with Mike Evans, you know, his, his ratios as far as targets, catches to, what did he have, three touchdowns? last season uh i mean this, this stuff can all be so fluky yeah it absolutely can so if martin had plotted his way to that 1400 yards last year if he'd done it with 330 carries right. instead of 288 and did it without breaking off long runs i'd, mm-hmm. I'd be more concerned but I, I like what he did last year it looked a lot like what he did as a rookie in right. terms of distribution and, and i realized that that's that's how he crashed last time but the per game numbers if you look week by week i mean the massive game against philly but he was also very consistent around that. It wasn't just one or two 
huge games and then nothing yep. else to really exactly. supplement it. So that that's I don't know. Like I don't have a lot of Doug Martin. I'm not trying to avoid him. I just don't think he's priced like inappropriately. I think he no, belongs I think he's, where I think he's, he's going. priced exactly where he should be going. Yeah, the market seems to have that one right at this point. It's going to wrap things up for the Monday episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and you enjoy it, please leave us a nice review. We would greatly appreciate that. Jake and Eric are back with you on Tuesday. knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how.